This is a podcast about the hardcore community. Made by and for those who live authentic lives and embrace hard truths. We archive the stories of the bands and people who make this lifestyle possible. I'm Josh Lyon. And I'm Greg Benoit. And this is the Hardcore Archive Podcast. All right, welcome to another episode of the Hardcore Archive Podcast. As always, I'm Greg Benoit, and I have my co-host here, Josh. Josh, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing good, man. Just chilling. I've uh, been excited for this one. We tried uh, cutting this one a while back, but uh, we had to uh, we had to do a round two to get it just right. So a couple of years later, here we go, ready to go with tonight. So I'm excited for this one. Yeah, I like that Buzz Lightyear shirt you got on for all the viewers who are watching on YouTube. That's that's where it's at. That's the kids. The kids picked that out for like Father's Day or something. I've I've had it for some for some point. Where we spent the day all over the place today with playgrounds and such. So I'm still wearing the father attire. I usually change yeah. into a hardcore shirt, but tonight was a little, little quick under the transition or whatever. So you know how it goes. So right. what do we, what, what do we got tonight though, Greg? So tonight we have uh, an old friend, uh, someone who came up uh, through the hardcore scene roughly around the same time you and I were involved. Uh, we have Brian Rao on tonight. And uh, Brian is someone that people who've been around for a while might remember from bands like Stand Fast and Tears of Isaiah and His Own Hero. But Brian, you've also done a number of uh, solo projects, metal projects, and maybe more experimental uh, uh, music, right? Yeah, I have a few different things, you know, uh, probably most of it people haven't heard for the most part, but there's things. Right, awesome. Well, after tonight, hopefully, we'll blow up some of those uh, some of those deep cuts from some some of your past projects. Um, just a heads up: I'm not recording in a place that's really conducive to getting the best sound quality, so I apologize if you hear like crickets, traffic, or uh, 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 or or uh, any any Jimmy Buffett songs. Um, I'm recording this from uh, a, a beach house uh, in Delaware in an undisclosed location, um, so. Uh, apologies, um, but I think it'll add a fun vibe to the night. So I'm feeling a little bit looser, I guess, than usual. So uh, with that being said, uh, Brian, let's jump in with some of the questions. Um, we usually start these off by asking people how they got introduced to hardcore, what got them into extreme music. Um, so tell us a little bit about how you discovered uh, hardcore punk. Uh, well, I probably... Uh, I was about the age of 17, um, early high school. Um, I think I was just transitioning over from like uh, one of the middle schools, ninth over to like 10th grade. And I met um, met a few guys uh, through skateboarding. Skateboarding was something I was into, you know, when I was young. And um, through that, kind of was introduced uh to uh kind of a skateboard scene a place called park and ride where you know everybody would kind of you know hitch a ride to or skate their bike you know to uh kind of a secluded parking lot uh didn't have much traffic and uh we used to congregate there in pretty pretty good number um and I'd say, uh, you know, but the majority of people were into, you know, alternative music and punk rock, 
uh, really punk was the bigger thing at the time coming up. And um, through that, I, I, I really think it was probably Rory that I became uh, pretty close friends with and, um, you know, begin to expose me to different type of uh, heavier, harder, faster, more melodic music. You know, I just couldn't get enough. Uh, you know, I loved bands like Bad Religion, Null Facts, um, and you know, we a lot of time you'd be carrying a, a Walkman cassette tape player uh, while you're skating and just just in the zone. Um, so that was kind of my early getting into it. Um, it met a lot of people through that scene in Fairport which you know you're well aware of um and early on um i didn't really play music uh with these guys uh you know rory and brian and kenton and ed coleman uh were playing in some kind of punk ska bands early on um at places like bowling alleys and, uh, you know, maybe some lodges or such. It, it was a different scene for sure. Um, and through that, I think I, you know, we kind of hooked up with some of the guys that were in a different scene. Uh, Travis Rankin and a few others that played in a punk band called Discern. Um, and, kind of everybody kind of all got together finding a like interest in the music, uh, you know, when it went on. And I think I'm not mistaken, even prior to channel three, there was a band Rory was in called long shot. I'm pretty sure it was prior. Um, and, uh, you know, that's the kind of music they were playing was, was punk rock music. I even remember probably one of my first early shows was in, one of the original guitar players basement, uh, Anthony, AKA creeper of And, uh, I remember watching one of his early bands. It was a punk band. I can't quite remember the name, um, in his basement. And, uh, it was packed, you know, it was just a whole different kind of scene. Um, and I was very interested in it just cause it seemed like it was more of an alternative, not mainstream mindsets, uh, you know, something outside of the whole sports school world. Uh, but yet, you know, people were finding common ground and making friends. Um, and so that's kind of where it started. My interest for me. Yeah. I, uh, this has been a, an episode I was looking forward to doing because it's very nostalgic for me. Um, you and I both grew up in Fairport, and I know, Josh, you had some connections in Fairport uh, around that time, too. And, um, you know, where I'm at in life right now, I mean, we're all in our 40s, and I'm looking back on, you know, kind of my youth as I as I raise my own kids and, and kind of look to that for insights into what I need to teach them. Um, I really grew up in, like, the best possible place for being into hardcore and punk um you know at least in in the rochester area um fairport had such a vibrant uh community of skaters and punkers and people who are into hardcore and straight edge kids um you know it feels like uh you know if i could have picked an ideal place it would have been fairport 
um the the park and ride too i haven't thought about that for years since you've mentioned that but that was like a place where i learned how to do some some of the skateboard tricks that i eventually wound up learning how to do not many of course um because i was never quite so great but uh yeah this is uh, bringing me back and i've uh, really loved uh you know connecting with folks like you who grew up in the same kind of scene and the same people um so you 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 and rory go way back um the first band that I was familiar with with you in it was Standfast. Um, was that your first uh, like bona fide band that you were in? I would say that was the first real band that I was in. Um, I, I I played. I had a couple. Uh, I think one I can remember in particular uh, might have been called like Free for All or something like that. And I I think we might have played a show or two like at. Uh, high school or middle school gym or something i can remember i remember covering like minor threat songs um and such but that that was um i know i i'd always wanted to play with those guys and uh i, I remember it was kind of in between bands i think channel three had ended and i remember talking with rory like about wanting to start something and he you know he was always all for it it was it was you know if it was anything related to skateboarding punk rock hardcore I, you count on him <laughs> you know um so i remember talking with him and trying to devise a scheme on how to get some of these other guys to play because i think we had to do a little bit of convincing um i think at the time brian vanette and the drummer didn't he was kind of tired of playing drums in a band and he he wanted to play guitar and mike gullo was a guitar player in those bands and wanted to switch it up to drums so we thought as a spoof i think they agreed like all right we'll do it if we could change instruments you know and do it um and we did so i think originally it was um the gentleman creeper that i mentioned early remember practicing at his house early on uh, rory mike gullo um and brian vanetten and uh you know we we all had similar but different tastes but you know back then was pretty early on i think it was probably like early early 98 maybe uh, if i'm not mistaken you know maybe late 97 early 98 somewhere around there um, but we quickly started playing um, and getting out, covering Slugfest songs and, you know, writing our own, you know, tunes in the process. Uh, pretty pretty early on, I think we were pretty, we, we pretty much knew that, you know, hey, this doesn't sound great. <laughs> but we, you know, we loved it. And it was just about the energy the emotion, um, the com camaraderie, you know, um, and uh, so yeah, you know, from there we, you know, we were kind of also influenced by some other people in the scene. Um, back then, there was uh, some older guys who uh, were in the band Break of Dawn. John 25 was doing shows around the area and uh, 
they kind of pushed us. They knew we were, you know, we, we were friends. There's a good story too there. Um, but they they kind of pushed us to kind of get out there ahead of time. I had it when we were planning on getting out there and play a show. And once we did play that show, it was kind of like lightning in a bottle. Like everything just took off from there. We just kept going. Um, some, some of my early experiences with Stanfast were seeing you guys at the teen center in Fairport. Um, and even though it was like, yeah, I mean, this is probably not the best way to characterize it, but even though it was kind of like the training wheels version of like a hardcore show, you know, it was like pretty safe compared to like, you know, a show at the Penny Arcade or something. Um, you know, it had like a real wild energy to it that I tapped into immediately with kids singing along and kids dancing and stuff. Um, right. So you guys kind of seemed like you came right out of the gate and had like built in fan base, even if it was just amongst, you know, your own friends. Um, is that your recollection, too? Yeah, I, I think in large part it was due to the, the skate scene and everybody being so connected. And, you know, it was almost like it was so tight knit because it was like if you were into that, whether it be skating or biking, BMXing, um, you know, everybody kind of got to know each other through that. And then the, the scene kind of, I mean, with at least Teen Center, Fairport, kind of emerged through that, into that. And then I think it did, it spilled out to other people, you know, over time but you're right it was it was pretty quick you know how it happened it seemed like the scene was there and uh everybody wanted to see something in music and something new and the, the whole punk fast aggressive vibe you know the kind of you knew something was going on you know and it was interesting because it was like well what's this all about because it's so different really you know when you looked into it i think a lot of people found a home you know people in sports they have camaraderie there and team yeah. situations and it really was like this whole scene kind of became a team together uh it supported it and really helped build and push people into doing that kind of stuff because um People were interested in it. It was something new, and it was a real positive vibe back then. The punk scene and the hardcore scene had a real positive vibe. You know, anybody you ran into that was uh, of the know, you immediately had a bond. You know, and a starting point to build a friendship from there. Uh, so you're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Give, Got to give Rory credit for that. He's like definitely one of the most positive people i know and you know that was apparent even in his early days as a front man um that that was kind of like his thing that he was all about um i also want to give a shout out too to like chad posick and mike and mark weldon because they early on gave me a standfast tape and were like you got to check this out because they knew i was into like punk but i had like no awareness that there was like anything on a local level um, you know, similar to uh, the bands that I was into that were, you know, more national epitaph uh, style bands. Right, right. Um, so thank you to those guys for getting me in early and, and not, you know, missing out on, on some cool shit. Um, I want to go back to something you said. You mentioned, you know, like the camaraderie with uh, people who play sports that they have on their sports teams. 
Um, what really, I, what I really liked about Stand Fast and the whole vibe that was going on in Fairport was it really felt like a large, uh, you know, group of friends, um, you know, and you and that kind of group of friends and that, in that scene were kind of like had a reputation as being like the wild child, uh, of the group, you know, like not afraid to confront, you know, people who were being bullies or throw down or, you know, get kind of crazy. Um, did you have like, has that always been your personality? Did you have like things going on in your childhood that kind of set you apart and maybe made hardcore and punk more appealing than like, I don't know, playing lacrosse or football or something? Uh, you know, it's a good question. Um, I did play sports growing up. I did play local lacrosse. I played some football for years. Um, in my really my younger years, you know, elementary to early middle school, I think at some point, you know, my taste changed. I just got more into music, uh, you know, back then, alternative music, uh, early, a little early metal, you know. Um, and, uh, well, I had, uh, where I grew up was a pretty tight knit, you know. I think another thing about Fairport was, you know, when we grew up, you grew up in neighborhoods that had a lot of kids that you uh, grew up with and got to know real well, became friends with. And, and really, you know, we were out most nights till nine, nine thirty, dark, playing ghost in the graveyard, you know, capture the flag. Um, and it was really, <laughs> I don't want to compare it to like, you know, <laughs> jackass but you know you know there was a lot of pranks and stunts and and crazy things so we, we got into crazy adventures um you know but at a certain point i think a lot of people start to see just a lot of the unfairness in society and you know the fallacies of the system you know we're in and um i think really the energy of punk rock hardcore is the stern opposite you know of that there there's a bit of anarchy involved but it's it's not just anarchy for for no purpose you know the, the anarchy is very purposeful you know um when I was young, I was definitely, you know, I read a lot more when I was young than I do now. I hate to say it, but I was influenced by early uh, books on, you know, books like Days of War, Nights of Love. Mm -hmm. um, others, um, you know, because the scene was like a, a great place to get new information and different points of view because it, it wasn't always and it was never really just about music you know there was a lot of different aspects to the scene that developed i think that's where you know uh, like when i met josh you know um and worlds collide you know that's another example of worlds collide we were kind of in a bubble uh in fairport and then at some point it grew and it spilled out into other scenes and we realized there's other people doing this out here um 
and then it, the thought process kind of was like, oh, okay, let's let's link up with them and let's let's do some things together. You know, some shows, some events. I remember um, meeting Josh. I think at a Vertex show, and I can't remember for the life of me what show it was, <laughs> but I remember running into Josh, and uh, here's a guy who's got a distro set up, you know, with tapes and CDs of bands that nobody's ever heard before, nobody's ever seen, and you're not going to find it anywhere else. You know, back then, you wouldn't find it anywhere else. There wasn't the internet like there is now. Um, well, like so, some things change and some things stay the same and i feel like spreading the hardcore reality josh's other podcast really kind of fulfills that role that like a distro might have fulfilled at a show where he's like kind of scrounging the internet for like obscure bands or bands from overseas and kind of bringing them to us exactly i feel i feel like you got to make sure that you say that was 1998 that 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 we linked up on that with that random distro with me pedaling I think okay. I started doing distros in like 97, 98, but that would have been 98 that we met up. And I think you're right. I, I don't know what the show was. It might have been one of those Channel 3 dense type shows. There was a few shows there. There was a few shows there. I, I went to pretty much every show at Vertex. Uh, yeah. For those listening in Rochester that are familiar, we're talking about the older Vertex that existed on Liberty Pole, not the one that's on Chestnut or whatever now in the old Freakazoid building. But anyways, yeah, we, we we linked up on that, and I had a distro, and uh, this is a this is a good story, obviously, that we always uh, like to tell. Uh, I was selling seven inches in CDs, and like Rao said, it was a lot of stuff that nobody had ever heard of, because I had just read reviews of a bunch of bands and stuff, and I was like, oh, this shit's cool. I want to bring it to other people, but none of it was really selling, and we met each other at a show. I think you can kind of take it from here. Uh, Rao, you remember how that all ended up happening? Yeah, pretty well. You know, I, I, I remember me and you just hitting it off right away, you know, on, on styles of bands and music and really what you were doing. I was really interested in what you were doing, you know, seeing somebody do that just all themselves uh, at, at a young age. Um, and I was like, I was blown away. I was like, look at all this this music and you, you know where you're telling me about different bands and you know the sound and you know this this band sounds kind of like this mixed a little of this you know and i think back then i just had a real boisterous personality and i was like hey let me help you influence some people essentially i'm sure i didn't use those words but you know, bring this music in and, you know, try to, you know, get the word out about some of this stuff. I was like, do you mind, you know, if I talk to some people and show them some stuff? I don't know what I was thinking, to be honest with you, but. You showed them the stuff real quick, though, real quick. I mean, I, I think I went <laughs> around to every person at that show, met them and tried to sell them some kind of music that you had. You know, just talking to them, find out what kind of bands, you know, do you like? Oh, gee, yeah, you know what? I think you you might want to check this out, you know. Um, that was the heyday for, like, seven inches, you know, records. Yeah. It was a big deal. Yeah, nobody really does. I feel like they don't do those as much now. It's it's 12 inches and not the occasional seven inch, you know. I don't know if they're yeah. super expensive or bands just don't make much of a cut on them. 
five. Yeah. yeah. My understanding is it's like basically the same price to press a 12 inch and it's like a higher fidelity and like nobody wants to do a seven inch anymore. I also have like a, a conspiracy theory too, that there's like a lot of record nerds who want their, their like 12 inches to all fit inside those like Ikea like shelves that everyone has now. And they don't want to <laughs> like look at a small fucking record in there or something. What do you do with the, the, the 30, 40, seven inch record? <laughs> you know, so, uh, so, so you were, you were playing bass in Standfast. Um, you know, your time with Standfast comes to an end. You were also doing vocals, uh, I think around that time. I don't know if they overlapped, but you're doing vocals in Prepare for War. Um, and that's really like my memories of you that really stand out in my mind are more you on vocals because that's like where you really stood out and, you know, your personality really shined. Um, that also kind of like started the transition from like, you know, hardcore more to more metal sound. Um, and I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like Prepare for War, that was like you and Kenton and you and you and Kenton had a number of projects going um, that kind of when you look at them all together, there's like a natural evolution from Prepare to War, which, you know, had hardcore influence into it. I would say it was like, I don't know, like a hate breed buried alive almost, but as done by like 16 year old kids and, and not, uh, you know, not yeah. necessarily like proficient musicians. Um you have any like uh anything from like prepare for war that stands out yeah i do remember and it did overlap with stand fast i think i started that just because stylistically i think at the time i loved stand fast and that sound and the guys were pretty you know adamant about this the sound you know and, and keeping it a, a certain way you know not really like straight and going too chugga chugga or heavy um so i got the idea hey let's start something else I, I can't remember exactly how it came up but yeah you're right it was with kenton um brian kozlowski uh a couple other guys nick and, and ryan and um that was that was a fun project because we really just i i remember rory used to feed me a lot of music I don't know where he found a lot of this stuff, but you know, we he'd buy seven inches and then he'd make copies to tapes and stuff and you know, pass them out here or there and we'd say, Oh hey, can you make me a tape of uh these couple seven inches or whatever? That was a big thing back then. And uh I started getting into bands more like disembodied and uh some heavier bands. Um one one thing that stands out in my mind from that band is playing a basement show just outside RIT and I believe it was John 25's basement and it was a Halloween show and there was a band called Apathomy that was there that some of the members in Apathomy actually went on to uh, play in Walls of Jericho so the guitar player was actually at this show. He's a big guy, you know, there was, and it was the dark basement. And I just remember these guys going nuts to, to our band, you know, they came and they were another, I think they were in a path me. I think path me played that show, but I remember, you know, watching these guys go crazy and uh, just liking that band at the time, you know, thinking, Oh, how cool is that? 
you know, that these guys like our stuff and are, you know, going crazy moshing in this basement. It was dark. A lot of people. Um, possibly even Stan Fast played that show. Possibly. I'm, I'm remembering a, a Halloween show that I got attacked and, and kind of depanced while we were up there playing. <laughs> I'm not going to name any name. I can't remember exactly, but. Yeah, our, I didn't go to that show, but I have the flyer for it. Uh, yeah. And I remember remember that address is Four Morrison Avenue. I used to work like at a at a place that would take me by there sometimes, and I always thought about stopping at that house and being like, "Hey, you like know about all these bands that are, like used to play in your basement?" It's probably just like some college kid who doesn't give a shit. Um, I think it was yeah. I think it was at the first Prepare for War show, which I, I believe was in Ryan Bauer's garage. It was like me and Posick and like four other people. Um, Wow. But was Bauer was in that band, right? He was in in Prepare for War. And you, we might be thinking of his own hero. Okay, where because I, I was also on vocals. I was because Prepare for War transitioned into the next evolutionary stage, which was his own hero, um, which was similar. But we th at that point linked up with um, Alex Heron was with the drummer of discern and he wanted to get into something a little heavier. So we collaborated and I think, um, I can't remember, uh, Ryan Bauer on guitar and I was doing vocals at first and Kenton was on guitar I'm trying to think of, I think at that time we did, Oh, we had this guy, Ben, uh, that played bass a little bit. Um, and we did a few shows with his own hero, um, around it, right, you know, not too long after that, uh, time with prepare for war. Um, and then I know, you guys, you know, it, that band morphed into tears of Isaiah, which was, uh, probably the final culmination of all these bands you know we had done different lineups a couple different people um and, and for that one we um linked up with eric untied who started singing alongside me and we tried doing two two singers um and we thought that was pretty cool and then i think we also got travis rankin who was also in discern to come over on bass um, and we went with that and I think at that time and things, we were definitely getting a little more metal influenced with bands like prayer for cleansing, uh, on earth. It was a little, a little later, uh, maybe 2000, was that or early 99, early 2000 and that, yeah. That time was band. I'm just looking at the Rochester Hardcore Archive uh, on SoundCloud, and uh, I, I guess I should encourage people. I should probably talk about this more often on the podcast because it's, it's a pretty cool thing. But I've got all these old demos and seven inches from uh, bands from like the 90s into the 2000s. And folks can go and take a listen to, um, I think, all these bands. I'm trying to see if I have Prepare for War. Um, just so you can get kind of a complete picture of like your musical odyssey, because it is pretty impressive where you started and where you wound up when you started with Prepare for War and then through 
to his own hero and then to tears of isaiah and by the time you get to his own hero and tears of isaiah it's very technically proficient and i think it was probably some time before you had another band in the scene um you know with guitar parts and drumming that was as complicated as what uh tears of isaiah wound up having um so i should tell people to go click click on the link in the instagram bio and uh you'll have uh we got prepare prepare for war that was the 98 demo and then his own hero 99 and then um tears of isaiah looks like it's awesome probably 99 um but uh uh yeah the 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 tears of isaiah stuff is is phenomenal and uh, i remember seeing you guys at saint joe's um uh one time it was like the day you guys recorded that demo and you showed up and like filled in a slot for some band that canceled and you guys were like super tight um and just like really blew the lid off the place i think that was also i, I guess i won't name names but it's been long enough but i think that was uh was a there was a kicking incident uh, at that show i wasn't sure if it was maybe yeah. your over exuberance or maybe eric's one of eric's uh martial arts spin kicks that i know he's oh. known for yeah oh, i mean yeah. Bullet, go ahead, John. Because <laughs> I think John. Shout, shout out to the unnamed. Uh, shout out to the unnamed friend of mine who I still talk to to this day. <laughs> I'm yeah. not gonna say uh, that we watched. I told him already. Actually, we've laughed about it that we might have watched that video. We might have watched that video at an apartment that we lived in like seven or eight years later. I have. Uh, if anybody's, if anybody's seen the movie Super Bad, it was like that. It was like when when McLovin. When they watched a the McLovin video after, uh, I don't know where that is, but that's how we watched it that night a couple times. But I told him about that, so he doesn't, you know. That was yeah. a while ago. It was a while ago. I think it was a very exciting, you know, the way that that all happened. A uh, little backstory on, on that show, because that was an interesting. That day we played St. Joe's was actually the same day that we recorded that demo that is on SoundCloud, I believe that we never finished you know we went and got a rough copy what you hear there is the tape we left with that night unfinished pretty unmixed it was just supposed to be a hey here's what this sounds like come back and we could talk about you know how you want it to sound we never did that never got that far but i, I remember it being winter that show and on the way to that show from getting our equipment and heading back towards that show. I think we were heading towards what was known as the can of worms in Rochester. Um, and I think it was me and Ryan, the guitar player and behind us driving was Travis and Kenton. And, uh, at some point, somehow the car, uh, started losing control in the entire, as we're going, you know, 60 miles an hour down the expressway, the car just flips backwards and starts going 60 miles an hour backwards. And we're literally just all of a sudden the car just flipped all the way around 180 degrees and we're going 55 miles an hour backwards. And we're looking straight at Travis <laughs> and Kenton, whose eyes are bugging out of their head. Like what is going on? And we're, I wasn't driving. This guy Ryan was driving and he's screaming and I grabbed the wheel <laughs> somehow turn it and the car flips back around 180 and we just drive and we're like you know we were amazed how did that just happen like you know like we we just 
did almost a full 360, you know, <laughs> not in one motion, uh, going 60 miles down the expressway. And, and we're still going and we're going to play a show. <laughs> so that, uh, you know, when we, we came, I remember there, we were all pretty hyped up to play that show after, you know, we had been running over the material and everything. And I think we did, we had a pretty good show that night. Um, and it got a little crazy, uh, as, as we remember. And I think that, yeah, there was at one point, who knows why, I don't know, you know, what, what exactly happened. Yeah. I think maybe I turned around and I thought I saw somebody blatantly like making fun of us or something, you know, maybe yeah. I took it that way at the time and I just, you know, did some kind of roundhouse kick to the chest. I mean, I think oh. you did. I think you did what you were known for doing, and uh, I think the other person did what he was known for doing. And I feel like I, I brought it up because I know it's all you know. We're all old men now, and we've all buried every hatchet that can be had. Uh, well, but, I hope uh, me, you know. I mean, yeah. it's you, sometimes you know you do things. Him and I, doing. yeah, him and I laughed about it. He agreed that he was yeah. partially the instigator that, that night too, and it was just a misunderstanding. Yeah, I gave him some water, and he was fine. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, but I think there's a good example in there, too, because there's an instance that came up and it happened, but it's not like a brawl started. You know, it was like something happened and, and whatever. Not everybody's involved. That Nowadays, something easily like that could be a huge brawl, you know, over something, uh, somebody making a move like that or, or what have you. But I think even back then, everybody was like, oh, hey. Calm down, everybody. <laughs> you know, all right. Let's let's back up. Let's move around, and let's be honest. It probably was not the first time I kicked somebody accidentally. No, as a matter of fact, I think I think I have a picture that I posted like a while ago of you like just bleeding profusely from the head. I think it was prepare for war. I think you got like whacked in the head with like Nick Nick Vol's base uh, or something like that in the, exactly the Claude right. RIT. Yeah, the, you know, I think, you know, we, we tried to go be pretty exciting and uh, put on a good show. But really, when it came down to it, we were just into the music that we were creating. And it just uh, gave us kind of an electric energy. And therefore, it, it sometimes got a little crazy and a little cramped, you know, on a stage area or a small venue uh, where people are cramped in. Sometimes, you know. People run into each other, knock each other. In that instance, you know, you've got people rocking out pretty close together. And I think his base, probably it was both my head going down from head bobbing, banging, and him, his base coming up my direction. But, you know, the cutoff of the bass string, the big one, it was a cutoff that was sticking out, you know, maybe half an inch or so. That's what ended up hitting me in the head. And uh, I do remember that and saying, hey, let's just let's finish. This. I'm all right. You know, it's just some blood. Let, let's finish that. And I, I think that it, there, that's an interesting point that you bring up because it makes me think of around that same time. Circling back to Josh, 
and I think he knows what I'm going to say, <laughs> is uh, I think at that point I tried to get in to the distro thing with Josh, and he had given me some stuff, uh, you know, to try to sell, and I probably took a little longer than I planned on or told him I would on it. I remember him kind of confronting me about that at that it show. Was that night. Yeah, it was that night. Before that, we played and I got hit in the head, you know, and, uh, you know, rightfully so, you know, I'm sure he was, you know, had a good reason or whatever. And so and then that happened. And then I remember, you know, we finished playing. There was blood everywhere. And then Josh came and said, listen, all right, don't worry about it. We'll work it out. <laughs> we'll work it yeah, out. We it was funny because we were rolling up on the way there, and I didn't know you all that well back then, and I just knew you owed me some money. So I was like, yo, fuck this motherfucker. I'm going to go there and talk some shit and get my money, and that's going to be that. And I said a couple things, and then you said a couple things, and I was like, well, we'll figure it out later. And I knew you would be good for it eventually, so I wasn't really that worried about it, but I was still just kind of like didn't really know you that well. And then I saw you covered in blood, and I'm like, oh, shit. I, I guess I really didn't know this dude all that well. You know what I mean? Like I was like, man, this dude is fucking crazy. <laughs> Yeah, it was a little. We figured it out though. We figured it out, and then we did some other some other business and shit. So we were cool, you know. It was we were young kids, and pretty sure what I no, I'm I'm positive you did. I'm positive you did. Yeah, it was a small. It wasn't even that much money either. But when you're teenagers, oh yeah, teenagers. I mean, you know, we're all poor kids, and Josh had been doing his own thing, you know, for a while in the scene before. You know, everybody kind of got together. We met each group. Uh, and I feel like at that point, you know, the scene started to go more into the city and other areas as well um, and, and get bigger, you know, all the while growing new people coming in and, and finding a love for the music, um, you know, whether it be being a supporter or being a friend or helping out or getting involved and uh, playing in a band or doing a zine. You mentioned Chad Posick. I You made me think of his zine. Yeah, The Living Standard. The Living Standard. There you go. You know, he ran a zine for a little while, and that was pretty cool. He uh, did a lot of little write-ups uh, about, you know, local, local acts and maybe some hot topic issues, you know, whether it be, you know, people uh promoting veganism or straight edge or you know lifestyle um and uh i said i think rory had a zine then josh had a zine you know talking about that uh josh your zine was called the right path if i'm not mistaken yeah we're still pretty much on the right path for the most part you know can't right. come can't, can't front too much. Yeah, it was the right path. TRP Enterprises, Enterprise Hardcore. Yeah. You know. So that was, I mean, by the time we had met up, you were already doing those things, you know, and those worlds collide, you know, the whole kind of Fairport scene and the downtown scene and the punks all kind of got together and started doing more together. And I feel like that's, you know, that's when the scene really started just kind of taking off and you started seeing more of a unity between Buffalo, Syracuse, and Rochester, you know, almost working together to bring in and support maybe some bigger acts, 
you know, they it seemed like bands would always hit like one of those areas, but you'd it'd pull a lot of people from Buffalo and Rochester if it was a Syracuse show, vice versa if it was a Buffalo show, um, which was really cool uh, to see because you could see that that you know that scene really was developing and growing and you know a lot of new people new faces um but uh yeah i mean i think that that's why it made such the impact it did in the in the upstate new york area is that you know it it really eventually grew from that in those early beginnings uh into kind of a trifecta of a scene between buffalo and rochester and syracuse and you, you could definitely still see you know a large remnants of that i don't think it's what it used to be you know uh, i still i still think there's there's ties there for sure but you know i don't i don't know too much about the current no there's like a good synergy synergy going between like buffalo rochester and syracuse and like syracuse is like popping off they got so many bands with young kids now they got like a real fresh scene going and buffalo has so many awesome bands i saw that like space space to just signed with revelation records so it's like cool to have a band in western new york on such a important and influential record label and there's some good stuff going what, what band was that again uh sp spaced um I don't know. They're just like pretty much straight okay. up hardcore. Uh, they're okay. pretty good. Uh, they, they, I think they played with Madball in Rochester, uh, you know, like a year or two ago. Okay. Um, yeah, good stuff. Yeah. So, um, it's just a couple of points I wanted to hit up before we get to more recent events. Um, definitely everyone should go check out the prepare for war, his own hero, uh, tears of Isaiah tracks on the Rochester hardcore history SoundCloud. Cause it really shows, uh, a lot of creative development from from you and Kenton and Travis and uh you know the folks that had a hand in all those bands and of course Eric I got a uh, Eric on Ted uh, who's basically my adoptive older brother uh, at this point in my life uh you know somebody's very important to me so those those tracks are important for that reason too folks while they're there should also check out um Travis uh, Rankin's other bands Discern which has come up a number of times and of course they have a track that's named after you um, you know, you were such a fixture in the scene and a character that I, I feel like you got a pretty uh, pretty notable distinction getting your own song uh, named after you. Um, so, uh, yeah, this has been. No, yeah, that's good stuff. Uh, this has been uh, it's been fun to revisit this time. And then, like, uh, thanks for being a good sport about the, the kicking incident. Uh, I got to be honest, you're not even the person on the, the the person on this call who's wronged uh, that individual the most because like 22 years ago I, I, I stole that guy's girlfriend and now she's my wife and uh <laughs> she, 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 she's she, she and I are raising our kids together so it's nice to be old uh it's nice to be old and have some better perspective on all these things and see how all of our lives are interconnected and how we all kind of had an influence on each other even though maybe at the time we didn't didn't always get along or, or see the value in the relationships. I, I can see the connections now and, you know, see how each of our lives influenced each other. So I'm, I'm grateful to have been a part of it. Uh, even if at times it was, you know, tough and I had some hard feelings. So I, I have some apologies to, uh, uh, to, to, to share about that too, I suppose. W one other thing too, this is a funny story. This isn't even my story. This is Eric's story. 
like 10, 10 years after that kicking incident happened. Um, he had like some 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 technicians over at his house trying to like fix a furnace that wasn't working. They couldn't figure it out. They had to like send the hot shots over. And uh, he was like shooting the breeze with this guy. He was like fixing his furnace. He's like, oh yeah, my son is like in some some punk bands and and he was like, oh yeah, uh, yeah, me too. I was in some bands. I wonder if I played with them. And uh, he was like, oh yeah, what's what was your band? You know, this technician guy. He's like older, you know, like our dad's age. And he's like, oh yeah, what band were you in, uh, Eric? And he's like, oh, I was in this band, Tears of Isaiah. And he's like, oh shit, you guys were bad dudes. <laughs> you guys like kicked my it was like his son was like in 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 the band that you know had the affiliation so it was a small world (laughs) um but uh you know we've mentioned you've done some other projects since these bands um the one that i'm most familiar with is arson ember um like what time period did arson ember kind of uh take take root in i want to say about 2004 okay so Hold on one second. Let's 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 put a pin in that just for a second. Remember, <laughs> Arson Ember, Greg. Uh, there's a couple things that we haven't touched on yet. That there's bands that people probably don't realize that you were either in, uh, oh. tried out for, or affiliated with, and they are parts of Rochester and Buffalo hardcore history. Um, I feel like the 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 Buffalo thing. You trying out for that band is is it it cut it bridges the gap of you leaving Stamfast and then coming back and doing uh, prepare for war, right or right. Yeah, uh, wasn't that was that dead to the world? It was dead to the world. Yeah, you know, and those guys were uh, huge influences. You know, not only on me but on the Rochester scene. Uh, uh, you know, and a few of those guys still are. Obviously, Rob Antonucci, uh, Mike, Mike Union was always somebody that I looked up to. You know, young. I, I actually I was a big Union fan, so before I had even met those guys, I was probably one of their biggest fans. You know that they didn't know. You know, um, but I was into a lot of those bands early on, like um, Lockjaw. Uh, you know, Dead to the World, bunch of early Buffalo bands. Um, some of my best show memories are up in buffalo there's there's definitely one with rory i've been wanting to kind of share it is uh we went up to this is before pre-stanfest i believe he'd have to correct me if i was wrong but we went up to and hitched a ride to a little show in a basement um and i think this is going back to what really kind of got me more into wanting to be involved in that and playing bands and be a part of the scene the show was um, ten yard fight, um, no reason, and it was, I believe, Bane's first Buffalo show. And I, you know, we witnessed this show in a small basement that I don't believe that you could stand up full in, and it was packed. And I remember Bane. 10-yard fight was fantastic. I was a big fan of 10-yard fight uh, growing up, so it was really cool to see them. Um, and But Bane didn't know too much about them. They blew my mind. You know, They, they were pumping out some of the rawest energy I had ever felt at a show, and it was just the best vibes and most positive 
kind of feeling just being in involved in that in that moment you know um and that really kind of like ricocheted us i think into wanting to do more stuff like that you know and infuse even more into the hardcore scene so yeah sorry i just wanted to add that as a little side note yeah i have the flyer for that show i didn't go to it um but i'll, I'll try to post that and then like uh, some of the flyers for some of the other shows you've met, uh, mentioned. Um, I should also say too, I want to give Travis Rankin's new project a shout out. He's doing a nonprofit music studio uh, oh, yeah. called the Rochester Music Lab. You can look them up on Instagram. Um, I try to like repost some of their stuff sometimes because it's really cool that he's uh, you know still doing something with music and connecting you know kids. They do a lot of uh, lessons for kids and group activities and stuff. That, not just for kids, you know, they do stuff for adults too. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that's great. Uh, the city needs it. Um, yeah, I love what he's doing there. You know, it's all sorts of instruments. It's learning all about music and music production uh, and access to the equipment they have there uh, and the instruments um, and potentially lessons and studio time. It's got a lot going on over there, so you, good point there. Um, so I want to talk about some of your solo projects and some of your like metal projects. Um, can you give us like a rundown on some of the things that, that, uh, you know, taken off from tears of Isaiah breaking up to getting us up to now. And I know you've got something, uh, that's either coming out or that is out, um, that I want to make sure we, we talk, talk about. Yeah, yeah. Real quick. I'll, I'll try to bounce back on what Josh, I think was saying. Um, there was a, yeah, there was a few things that I, I, I took part in you know yeah really there is so much we probably could do a whole other episode you know on on stuff and go a little more into some things but i think for the, the case of it's late i know you guys have kids and we all have jobs we gotta get up and go to go to work <laughs> we'll try to streamline it you know um but i did a brief stint with a band called a death between seasons in the area, um, I ended up uh, when a gentleman named Eric Sainer went and started playing for a band called Mastodon at the time. It was a new band started up called Mastodon. It, everybody's pretty familiar with it these days. Yeah, I never heard of them. Don't, don't know anything really, about those guys. Yeah. Um, it, so when this guy, Eric Sainer, went to go play with them, I kind of filled it in uh, for a time with them um and that was cool uh, a couple guys there aaron birdo um lyle sprague uh was a drummer uh and dan dan and lyle went on to play in a band called connoisseur out in california uh, um for a while and i know i think dan maybe still doing it and uh lyle's doing some other things these days um occasionally in touch with those guys um uh, that was fun. So did a, just a short burst of shows with those guys. Witnessed a nice band brawl that was pretty fun up at Cosmic Jams. Um, that if you ever talk to one of those guys, you should ask them about. <laughs> um, and I, so, you know, uh, after that, I, I think I took a break for a while. Just wasn't as involved uh, for a couple, couple years. You know, just went... You know, down a different path for a little bit and then kind of came back 
and linked up with, again, Kenton Parker and formed a band called Arson Ember. Um, Arson Ember, I, I think I started on bass, similar to Stanfast. I was on bass, uh, Stanfast. Um, but didn't technically play bass, per se. It was kind of more like, hey, we need bass, so that's you. <laughs> you know? Sometimes it just ends up being that, you know, and if you want to do it, then you got to kind of compromise a bit. Um, so I think we linked up with a kid, nice bass player, Phil Coleman, and uh, drummer by the name of Alex Price, uh, who was a pretty talented kid. <laughs> and um, we did uh, an EP with a gentleman by the name of uh, Lon Hackett who actually recently just uh, passed away. Uh, unfortunately, he was a big staple in the metal community, uh, bass player of a band called Sulaco, uh, fronted by Eric Burke. Um, great band, you know, uh, local guys. Been playing music here for a long time. A lot of people probably know Eric Burke from uh, the band Lethargy. Uh, it was you know, became pretty well known from uh, Rochester and a couple of the guys uh, are now in Mastodon as, as well. So they also have some roots here. Uh, we did about a year uh, on, on with that band, maybe a year or two, year and a half. Uh, played a bunch of shows. Um, had a good time. During that time, I, I think I was promoting some shows. So I was doing some shows at some small clubs with bands like Psyopis and uh, some hardcore, some punk, a little metal in there. Um, definitely good times. I have a job. I'm sure Josh remembers a little bit of that well, era of things. That was like the, the high end uh, era of my uh, days that I wouldn't really have much memory of. So I remember getting, I remember getting to most of those shows basically is what I can say. Yeah. yeah. So Elixir, yeah. Elixir, Elixir was a pretty bit, a pretty, uh, crazy, uh, pretty crazy place. It was a pretty you know. crazy place, pretty crazy show environment. It was different kind of scene. We started kind of fusing different DJ and drum and bass in between bands and, um, there was a lot of pretty packed out shows there and it was really its own just a whole nother kind of like off shoot scene a little different you know um but that was a cool time yeah my friend uh dave and i tried doing something similar at dublin one night with uh some like harder bands and a dj i think you were there for that that was a that's a pretty uh interesting night too so Let's get to your, like Greg's been saying, let's get to your current projects. I know you sent me some stuff and you got some other stuff you're working on. So let's talk about that. I do. Um, so yeah, I've been working on a solo project. Uh, a little more of a hybrid metal project under the name of uh, Black Azalea. And uh, not too long ago, maybe a few months back, I, I did drop uh, just a demo. Uh, a little demo EP of, uh, I think it's maybe about six songs. 
it's kind of rough, you know, it's just uh, kind of getting the flavor out there a little bit of some of the stuff I've been working on uh, now. Uh, I actually have quite a, quite a catalog built up now of songs that I've been working on over the past couple of years. I've been playing guitar more and more. Um, so it's a project that I pretty much do everything on. Um, building the drums, uh, measure for measure, uh, the guitars, uh, and vocal, uh, the initial stuff on the demo. Um, I'm really kind of just playing live, kind of making the songs up as I go and then taking them from there and maybe working on them a little bit. Um, but it's pretty true to just, uh, sitting down with a, a drum setup and uh, hit and play and record and seeing what I can come up with and then sitting down and also putting another guitar part next to it. Um, but I've got, I've got uh, quite a bit of stuff and material that I'm working on there. Pretty soon I'll, I'll be dropping another tune. Uh, it'll be a single called uh, of galaxies. And, uh, I, I may bring some other people in on this too. Um, I may not. Um, you still there? Yeah. Um, oh. what, like what types of like, so it's, it's just you. How, how are you putting these songs together? Like what types of software and like recording stuff are you doing? Um, it's pretty bootleg. It's nothing professional. Uh, you know, I've done some recording over the years and, and, you know, learned a bit through, through the time. Um, and I'm just using, um, just a basic DAW. And, uh, I, I have a kind of a souped up pedal. It'll go direct, uh, models, amps. Um, sometimes I'll do that. I also do, uh, have a cabinet and head. I'm kind of getting some gear back together there uh, for for live stuff. Uh, but uh, you know, a lot of stuff is modeled, and uh, the drums I I pretty much build from catalogs. It's I don't use like I don't do what a lot of people do these days. I don't just use like a drum machine or like you know use a pre setup track. I, I actually go in and build the drums like measure for measure, uh, from a catalog that I, uh, linked up with a guy, um, overseas actually, uh, who drums and records live drum parts and I can take them and I just cut them all up, reconfigure them and make them completely original, uh, at that point and develop, a song kind of structure and then play but you know so like the live ep i did some of these a lot of stuff that'll be coming out is all real just kind of stuff off the top of my head you know i really am just sitting down and hitting record a few times and then i may take a couple parts uh you know it's like i might take the front section of this part and say oh in the back section i like the other end 
little bit of editing there, you know, and then build the song. Um, I hope to go over some of it again and maybe just kind of do a little bit tighter and didn't really come out exactly the way I'd hoped on the mixing and mastering portion of it. Unfortunately, it kind of sounds one way through speakers, but you listen to it through like a phone and depending on the type of phone, it might just pick up one guitar track and you might not hear like the full and that, that was a little off putting to me. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to figure it out and come back, you know, stronger next time. I'm sure. Um, so, so it's like really cool to me that you're like hooking up with a drummer that's in another country and kind of like using his creative output in yours. Um, that's like one of the things that's blown my mind about doing bands um, recently is that the technology and smartphones and the software that's available just makes it so easy. Like the bands I'm doing now, World Purge, um, three of us are in Rochester, but uh, you know, Nate, the other guitar player, is in South Carolina, and Eric uh, Unted, who you know, your former bandmate in Tears of Isaiah, is in Syracuse, and we can stay in touch and like workshop a song without uh, any of us even having to be in the same room. I mean, even this podcast is a perfect example of that. I think I've been doing this for like a year, and uh, I think I've only like actually talked to Josh in person about this uh, podcast like only uh, once or twice. Um, the technology is really making it super easy to collaborate and uh, it's come a long way. I, I mean, I was in a band where I remember recording um, like practice demos on an old answering machine because that was the only thing that we had. Um, and now you can like practically get a recording on your phone if you set it up right and, you know, use multiple phones to get uh, different tracks. You can merge them all together and make something that sounds better than like what people were going to like studios for in the nineties. It's pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, really cool. A lot of advancement. So is there anywhere um, that people can hear black azalea? Is it on, do you have stuff online or do you have like social media or anything? Yes. Yeah, so uh, black azalea is on uh, Instagram, TikTok. Uh, there's a bit there. Uh, there's some Lincoln bio stuff there. And then the demos up on Bandcamp. Uh, it's a free download for now. Uh, that one's going to be free. Um, when I'll let people know, cause people have told me that for some reason, when you download it, it'll tell you there's an error for whatever reason. And it didn't download, but then it sends it to your email anyways. I don't know why, just a heads up if anybody does want to check it out. Uh, but it is up on Bandcamp for free uh, under Black Azalea. Uh, in some places it might be written up as like Black Azaleas for whatever reason, just because Black Azalea wasn't available uh, yeah. on there. Uh, but I'll have a lot, a lot of stuff coming there over time, and I'll try to be collabing with some people too. I've got a few people that I'm trying to collab on i have been jamming with a few people locally that used to play in some some pretty well-known metal bands um i don't really know where that's going at this point so i'm a little hesitant to really say yeah. much about it but it's fun and it's a learning experience anyways um and it all goes towards the common goal you know being creative and just outputting um in, in my world you know things of, of meaning you know, I, I'm, but the music I'm playing now might not jive with a lot of people, but I kind of feel like at my age, like I just want to do what I want to do. 
I don't, I'm not doing anything for anybody or to be known. I just want to play the type of music that I like and write that type of music. It's a great outlet. Um, I do want to put some meaning in there, you know, and over time I want to try to kind of interlace some, some depth, um, meaningful things in there that maybe, you know, people can get a little something out of, I don't know. Um, but I like it and I'm having fun. And I think that the stuff to come, um, it'll, it'll be a step above. I also do have an, another set of more hardcore, uh, tailored tracks that I'm going to probably try to put something else together for to do that. And I might actually try to get together with some people to do something with that. <clears throat> you never know, you know, it's like, I might be able to get something together. I do have a couple guys that would, you know, we're talking about, well, Hey, if it ever did anything, if it was ever worth it. Maybe we'd put a set together for black azalea or whatever, you know? Uh, so anything's possible, right? I mean, sometimes it just takes spark the spark, you know, to light the friction. And uh, next thing you know, you're you're moving. You got that reference right there. But I did. Uh, yeah. So what you did there? Yeah. So, um, but tying into what you were talking about about technology um, actually brings me to another project that I've been working on. I kind of got a baby, uh, as you see the background there. I know it's flipped backwards, uh, but that says uh, Future Cult Records. And so I've been working on a platform. Um, it's going to, it's a little different. Um, maybe a little before it's time because it involves digital files and uh, NFTs. If, if you guys are familiar, it's basically a digital contract. It also can be, um, uh, it can work as a patent, uh, but it, it allows the creation of like a digital item or even a physical item. It could be tied to a physical item, but it's a ironclad, uh, contract, um, that allows the creation of like a certain amount of digital files or such. And it could be, you know, these things first got big on these memes and these crazy outlandish, you know, clubs and, and things just because I think that was the first use case people found for them and it kind of all went belly up. Um, but yeah, really, no, I knew it, I knew it went belly up when Donald Trump was selling the uh, NFT trading cards. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> anything for a dollar. Um, right. You know, that's most people's game. Um, but the whole idea of this and, and the reason why I like this technology so much is because it is a tool that um, can advocate for the artist on a level like we've never seen before. Um, you know, so basically because of the blockchain and the technology, everything that happens on there becomes a piece of history forever. There's no manipulating that. There's no um, fudging that, you know, there's no fraud that can take place. It's just not possible on this system. Um, so, you know, say for example, you have an EP, you know, a band wants to make an EP. Um, you can do that 
in a digital file and tie it to an NFT. Um, and then, you know, you can make a one of one or you could make a million copies of it, or you could do something a little lower, like 250, 500, um, which I see as a potential for a future collectibles market digitally. It's, you know, it's I love actually really, that's a really unique idea. Like I could see that being pretty successful. Um, you know, if like the right people catch on to it and buy into it, like that seems like a, a like a more, a more reasonable, legitimate use of the NFT technology than like some of the things I've seen where like people are just like buying a picture of a meme for some like ridiculous amount of money. And then, you know, knowing that they own that or something. That's right. Yeah. Because it's undeniable proof, you know, that you have a piece of this or it is a one of one, you know, uh, in the rarity to that, you know, regular MP3 wave files, they they can't do that, you know. So, but basically, it's fusing the waiver MP3 file with the NFT and creating a contract on the system. The wonderful thing about this technology is that you can tie in backend royalties on things. So, when I say that you advocate for bands, is number one, does it put the power of creation in the artist's hands? Um, to be able to directly sell, you know, right now there's a big barrier to somebody doing that. Um, but I've done that. So I actually own and have the technology to be able to create NFTs. Um, and so that's what I'm trying to do with, uh, future cult records. I have a website. It's, uh, future cult records, uh, dot rf.gd i knew i know it's a weird web address but i i'm just doing everything kind of diy from the ground up i've built everything from the ground up myself over time um and what i'm trying to do is create a platform for people to i want to advocate essentially for artists in this this new frontier not just that frontier i do plan to do physical releases, tapes, analog tapes, uh, with a focus more on that, some CDs, maybe some records. Um, I'm really open to anything. Um, but looking towards the future, this looks to be like a really viable option for artists to kind of give them more control. Right now, it just really seems like a lot of avenues artists have are these mainstream avenues and you know the payout on the, the play it's, it's nothing yeah nobody makes any money on the music anymore right. they're all like selling right. t-shirts that's that's how they make the money right. and even there you're paying somebody else there's always a middle there's always somebody who's making out on on your work and a lot of times they're getting the lion's share of the profit uh providing the service or whatever you know so what i'm trying to build here is something kind of quite the opposite it really embodies like, you know, early punk rock, hardcore roots, the whole idea, but kind of fused with this new digital technology, um, you know, because I believe it's one that'll eventually protect artists and the future of their music. And not only that, but the technology will, it may hold keys to the protection of humanity against, um, you know, seedier 
seedier <laughs> visions, I guess. <laughs> um, so what I want to be the advocate right now is it, not, it's not very accessible. So what I'm trying to create is people give people access to that kind of technology without having to have anything to do with the crypto market as a whole, without having to get involved in that, buy that, hold that. I, I want to create a doorway for both uh, the artists and bands to be able to create and build portfolios of this kind of stuff. And I want to match that with a subscription-based um, support system for the content they're going to be producing. Um, and that can go, you know, uh, you know, people that are fans or people even that are investors or collectors would, you know, potentially be in that market. And so that side of it is called uh, the Crypt Cult. Uh, excuse me, the cult crypt. I say that backwards a lot, but uh, it's it's basically just the crypt. We're going to keep, you know, um, content, a content pool that people can access and support who they want, you know, or everybody or the platform. Um, and I'm also working with some other companies that are in that space. Um, there's one in particular in California uh, that I'm working with uh, to potentially um, do, do some fusing with down the line um, in one way or another. They're also in the NFT space with music. They have a different idea with their platform. Um, it's a little bit it's kind of the opposite of what I'm thinking. I really want to advocate for the mm -hmm. artists and their creative works um and kind of help create content that they can own sell you know and make some decent profit cuts from that you know be in control of you know how it's done work with me uh to achieve those goals um and what i also wanted to mention was the cool thing about these NFTs is there are ways to write into the contract back end royalties. So say there is a collectible market out there, which I'm sure they will come, you know, and people bands put out records or NFT records. You know, yeah. I can, I can see like doing a limited release and have it be like almost like colored vinyl and like right. this particular release, right. you, there's only like 200 of them. And then That's you right. do it later and there's, you know, something different about it. And there's, you know, maybe, maybe a thousand yeah. of those or something. Right. Yeah, it's the digital form of collectible, like vinyl. And yeah. you know, I see and envision exactly that. And the cool yeah. thing is, is once you write these contracts and you tie them like certain profits. So say somebody buys that, they sell out initially, and then they put it on the market years later and it's a really rare track. There's only a hundred of them. There's only 200 and it sells for a bunch of money. Say it sells for 200 bucks, right? Mm -hmm. Automatically when that transaction happens, the code in there tells it, okay, 90% of that goes to the person who owns that NFT and is selling that. 
there's a back-end royalty of 7% that goes right to the band and their wallet automatically. Oh, that's cool. And 3% of it goes to the record label's account automatically. And it all happens automatically, and it's for the lifetime of these things. That's awesome. Um, so that's what I find really attractive about it. Yeah. And, and that's what this platform I'm, I'm shooting for it to be. It's, it's live right now. It's in early beta. Uh, but I am taking applications uh, for bands or artists or creators that want to get involved in this. Um, so reach out at www.futurecultrecords.rf.gd. It's what it is now. I'm sure eventually it'll change to a .com or such or the likes. Um, but, you know, that that's what I'm trying to do. And I'm trying to make it really easy no crypto involved or anything like that but i would like to try to be an access portal to access this type of new technology for both bands to take part in and artists and for fans supporters and investors to be able to directly support you know the bands and creators they they like and and have the the lion's share of that dollar they spend go into that band's pocket that's you know? that's uh i think you might be on to something there um i think that's like a real viable model i think that's a good place for us to start wrapping it up do you have any like shout outs that you want to do for folks uh that have helped you with this project or folks who have helped you along the way in any of your musical endeavors you know shout out you know i've had many influences you know um some big ones you know a lot of them are local uh, you know, people that I grew up with and looked up to, uh, I'd say one, one big one I'd love to get a shout out to is, uh, uh, is, uh, Brandon Poré, uh, is, is such a great dude. I know you guys have had him on before. Um, you know, but there's a guy who's been involved with the hardcore scene before any of us, you know, uh, original player in the band contempt brand, Brad Dingman uh was a, a big influence to me growing up in the hardcore scene and a real positive guy Brad Dimming contempt and eternal youth um rory the guy is in stand fast uh loved loved the experience of of playing with you guys you know uh, through the good through the bad through the ugly it was all good times it was all funny you know, um, guys, you know, Mike Union, Rob Antonucci is another guy that's done a lot for the scene, for the community, for other people in, in the community, pushing them in, in one way or another, uh, you know, uh, to do something, get involved, um, obviously Josh, Josh Lyons, um, <laughs> was a huge influence to me as a, as a friend, as a constituent. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, make sure you check out his new podcast, uh, that's highlighting underground bands. You know, that's something he's always had a knack for is finding new up and comers that are exciting and, uh, fresh and new. Uh, so that's cool that, that you're doing that, Josh. 
The Hardcore Archive podcast is Josh Lyons and Greg Benoit with creative support from Rob Antonucci. This podcast is a product of the Rochester Hardcore community. Theme song provided by Stand Fast. Visit Hardcore Archive podcast on Linktree to listen to past episodes. Follow Hardcore Archive podcast and Enterprise Hardcore podcast on Instagram for updates. If you have an idea for an episode or would like to have your band's music featured during the closing credits, please contact us at hardcorearchivepodcast at gmail.com.